I knew I could figure this out eventually. We are in Galatians chapter 6. This is the last chapter in the study in Galatians. And we're, we're almost finished. We've got today, this chapter, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. So basically, that's almost the whole chapter. But we're also going to take a, at least one, maybe two more meetings, just to kind of summarize, bring everything together, and wrap it all up. And then we'll be finished with Galatians, and we're going to move into another book. I don't know what book that's going to be yet. We may take a few Sabbaths, a few messages, just to pause and focus on some key principles, thoughts, or ideas, or sermons that are cooking up in my mind before we move to another book. But this has been a great adventure, I think, the book of Galatians. Uh, We're going to be talking today a little bit about um, what Cedric brought up in relation to Eugene Mission. Um, Paul normally closes out his epistles by taking all this intellectual knowledge and this gospel truth and then making it very practical. And so in Galatians chapter 6, that's what he's going to do. He's going to make this truth, these, these wonderful ideas about the gospel and the power of God and salvation from sin and from its guilt and from its power and from its punishment. And he's going to make that very practical in the way that it transforms our lives and the way that it applies to, number one, our relationships with one another, and number two, doing good to others in the community. And I think that's what Eugene Mission is all about. I don't know if you knew this, but um, we have several interns that are working with the Eugene Mission. They do worships there for the women and the men, and Jonathan, one of the interns, is very connected with the Eugene Mission. He drives people from the mission to celebrate recovery meetings, and he's very connected with the Eugene Mission. I don't know if you knew this, but they didn't know that Jonathan was a Seventh-day Adventist when he started working with the Eugene Mission. And when they found out he was, they were very skeptical (laughs) because they don't know a lot about us, unfortunately. But Jonathan has had the opportunity to really spend a lot of time ministering with the Eugene Mission and opening up a lot of doors there for other interns and others who are interested in volunteering there. And there's a number of projects that they do at the Eugene Mission. There are dozens of opportunities to minister there. So if there's anyone here that has an interest in doing that, Jonathan Patton is the one to connect with, and he can um, get you connected over there. He just has a heart for that mission and what they're doing there. In fact, he told me, he said... Um, I'm just going to share the story because it's fresh on my mind. But it fits with our sermon today, Doing Good in the Community. He said there was a lady that he was connected with, um, somehow, I think it was through Celebrate Recovery, who needed help moving. She was getting evicted out of her place, and she needed to put all her stuff in storage. And she said that, you know, everyone flaked on her except for Jonathan and the guy that he lives with now, Alan, who's living there, he's an Arise graduate, Jonathan's an Arise graduate. They all flaked on her except for these two people. And so then um, they showed up with their trucks, and they moved her, just those two. And when they got her all moved, um, he took her to the mission, and they had one room left for, one bed left, it's not a room, it's a bed, one bed left for, in the woman's section, and she got a room. So Jonathan got her a bed, excuse me, not a room, a bed, and got her moved. And so she talked to Jonathan about this, and she said, you know, I've been watching you for a couple of years. And he said, you've been watching me? And he said, she said, yeah, I, when I found out you were a Seventh-day Adventist, I started watching you because 
I was in a relationship with a man who was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he was very abusive. The way that he treated me, and he, she just said, I just got a really bad taste in my mouth about Seventh-day Adventists. And when I got out of that relationship and left, and then I ended up you know, being involved with Celebrate Recovery, and then I found out that you were an Adventist, <laughs> she said, immediately red flags went up, and I started watching you. She said, I've been watching you for two years. And she said, this was it. She said, finally, this whole thing where you and Alan are the only guys that show up, and you're both Adventists, and you're the only guys that show up to move me, and then you get me a bed at the mission. And she said, she said I just want to talk to you about Adventists again. I just want to pursue that. I just thought that was powerful. And this is what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 6. He's talking about not our theoretical knowledge of the truth and the doctrines that we believe and that we go to church on the right day and that we understand all of the teachings of the Bible. He's talking about the way we treat people. He's talking about the way that we interact with people in our church and people in our community. Let's pray together as we begin our study. Father in heaven, thank you so much this morning for this opportunity just to study your word and to gain the insight that you have there for us and to learn how to be different people because we know we're being watched. We're epistles known and read of all men. And we want those eyes to see you and not our selfish, natural selves. We want Christ to be lifted up. We want him to be the lighthouse for others that he is for us. May this be our witness. As we read these words, may they come home to our hearts. May they transform us and encourage us and buoy us up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 6, we're going to be dividing it into two parts, Galatians 6, 1 through 10. The first part we'll talk about will be verses 1 through 5, and the second part will be verses 6 through 10. The first part, I think, is primarily dealing with our relationships with one another, especially in the church. So let's read the verses here. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, and you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves also lest you be tempted, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, what is Paul saying here? First of all, I think it's really important for us to understand that he's using the word brother or brethren. Did you notice that? Brethren, if anyone be so, he's talking about relationships with fellow believers. He's talking about relationships between Christians. He's talking about relationships that are seen within the church when he uses that word. And he's talking about when brothers and sisters are caught in sin. When a brother and sister is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently and watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Now, what does he mean, you which are spiritual? And I find myself that we have many times a higher expectation for brothers and sisters in the church than we do for people outside the church. And so sometimes it's, it's harder for us to be gentle with one another. It's easier for us sometimes to be gentle with people who don't know the truth than it is. And so I, sometimes I feel like we get more critical of our brothers and sisters in the church when really what they need is they need the gentle spirit, the gentle grace of Christ to help them. And so what Paul is saying here is, you which are spiritual, and then he identifies what it means to be spiritual. I think in the verse he identifies. He says, first of all, gentle. 
Be gentle. And then, second of all, he says, and be careful that you're not tempted. Because, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have found that, that being critical and judgmental of someone else about something, I'll find myself in the very same predicament sometime after that. Where the very thing I judge someone else for, I end up failing or falling in. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you need to be careful about the way you judge or criticize someone else because you could fall into the very same temptation, you know. (laughs) We're all sinners. We all need grace and help. And there are times when each one of us can be overwhelmed. And we shouldn't be looking down our noses at somebody else because they've fallen or or they've, they've failed. We should remember how weak we all are, how fragile we all are. And we should with with kindness, with gentleness, encourage and help one another. I think about this when I think about the entire history of the Bible. It talks about the different times when spiritual leaders, for example, like Moses or Paul, and of course, I think of Jesus and Stephen, these were men who were spiritual giants. And when it came to the way they dealt with sin, their attitude and their spirit was, Lord... Lay not this sin to their charge. That's what Stephen said when he was being stoned. Lay not this sin to their charge. Moses said, God said, I want you just to, to separate from these apostate people and I'll, I'll make you another nation, another denomination, let's say. And, and Moses said, no, I'd rather be, be lost. Blot me out of the book. Blot me out of the book. Rather than, rather than destroying them, I will die with them rather than being saved without them. The attitude that Paul had in Romans 9, he talked about the fact that, and and this comes in the context of him being heavily persecuted by the Jews. And he says, I would rather be accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. All of these spiritual giants had a heart toward the erring and a heart toward the failing that Jesus exemplified when he was on the cross and he was being crucified. And he, he prayed and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. This is what it means to be spiritual. It doesn't mean that we come to church, we do our Sabbath school lesson, we pay our tithe, we, you know, we act in a certain way. It's more than that. Being spiritual is the way that we interact with people who are failing and falling. The way that we uh, reach out to people who are struggling with temptation. The way that we try to build people up and nurture them in their struggles. So Paul is saying here that we need to bear one another's burdens. And he says this because we, we belong to a body, the, the body of Christ. And a body is, is connected with its parts. Uh, many times when I'm walking at night from my side of the bed, around the bed, into the bathroom, and then back over, I will occasionally stub my toe on a piece of the bed or a piece of the wall or something like that. My toe, when it gets stubbed, when it, get, when it hits something, my whole body feels that. Ow! Ow! Oh! My toe is connected to my body. And in this way, Paul is saying, the church is a body. And all the members are all connected together. And he, and he describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He, he actually tells us, he says, the church is a hum, like a human body and, and Christ is the head. I'm not the head, the pastor's not the head, the head elder's not the head, the deacon's not the head. There's no person in the church that's the head of the body. Christ is the head of the body. So he's the head, and and so if we're Christ's body, think about this. We're Christ's body, we have many members, and Christ is the head, and so the members are linked to the head, right? 
So the body then is totally controlled by the head. Jesus Christ controls each member of the body. So uh, let's say that the stomach says it's hungry. I'm hungry. It's empty and it wants food. So then what? What happens? Well, it sends a message to the head. And head, I'm starving. So the head sends a message to the legs. Legs, take this body to the fridge. (laughs) Because the stomach is hungry. So the head is telling the legs to do something for the stomach. What do the legs say? Yes, Lord. (laughs) I'm going to tell, take the body to the fridge, right? And once the body gets to the fridge, do the legs open the door? No, the hands open the door. So again, the head says to the hands, open the door and because the stomach's hungry, so the hands open the door, and the hands go in there, and the hands start taking, taking pieces of food, whatever, plates or things that are in there for the stomach to eat because it's hungry. The whole body is working together, operating under the control of the head, Jesus Christ, to feed or to take care of different parts of the body that are in need. That's how, that's how the church operates. The church is a body. And that's why when you're baptized, you're not just baptized into water and you're saying, praise the Lord. You actually join a church. Because if you're baptized into Christ, which is what baptism is all about, and he's the head, he's the head of a body, a body of believers. And so you're baptized into this water and you have this experience and then you join a church family, which is the body of Christ. And if one of the body members has a problem... If there's an issue that's taking place in the leg, let's say there's an infection that's taking place that could actually become gangrenous green or, or there's some kind of splinter in your hand that needs to be removed so it doesn't get infected, the rest of the body takes care of that. The rest of the body has interest in that. It doesn't just ignore it. it just, you don't just limp around and say, well, I don't know what's wrong with my foot, but whatever's wrong with my foot, I'm just going to ignore it and hopefully it'll get better someday. I've got the splinter in my finger, but I don't really want to deal with the splinter in my finger because that's too much work for my right hand to work on that splinter. I'm just going to ignore that. Maybe it'll go away. Someday it'll get better. No, because when you ignore those things, they fester and they get worse. And so the rest of the body, the head says to the right hand, you need to help get the splinter out of the finger. Because that splinter, if it is allowed to fester, it could grow and it could actually infect. And that thing could take the whole body down. If it's just allowed, if it's just ignored and allowed to, to get infected. And so the whole body, therefore, has care for the rest of its members under the direction of the head, Jesus Christ. Our goal as Christians is not for the right hand to be in control of the feet or the stomach to be in control of the legs. Our goal as Christians is for the entire body to be directed by by the head, Jesus Christ. And so the more we come in harmony with the head, Jesus Christ, the more connected we are to the head, Jesus Christ, the more we're going to have harmony in the body. Does that make sense? Because we're going to be getting our directions from and we're going to be knowing what God wants us to do. Now, sometimes we're not, we're not necessarily understanding what the purpose is that God has for us. But as long as we're connected with the body, it'll come. We'll figure it out in time. The head will direct us and we'll figure, oh, that's why you have us going in this direction. That's why you have us grabbing these things. That's why you have us seeing this way. It's a beautiful picture when you think about it. Christians under the leadership of Jesus Christ, walking in the Spirit, constantly applying the principles of the cross to our lives, living for others, 
working for others, supplying others. Now, in the New Testament times, there was a lot of division taking place. The world was a divided place. You had Jews, and you had Gentiles, you had different nations and nationalities. And Paul was preaching this message to that world, which I think applies to us today. You know, we've got the Democrats, and we've got the Republicans, and we've got the liberals, and we've got the conservatives, and we've got libertarians, and we've got all these different types of religious groups. We've got Christians, and we've got Muslims, and we've got atheists, and we've got... And all of these different dynamics are, are here. And Paul is saying, when you come to Christ, you become one. There's no male or female or Jew or Gentile. All of us are one in Jesus, and we all work together as a body, each person filling apart for Christ. And every part of that body is necessary. Then talking to his disciples in John 13, and I love this, Jesus says in the context of this whole idea, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, so must you love one another. And by this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. A lot of times as Christians, and even as Adventists, we identify ourselves by certain doctrinal teachings. Seventh-day Adventists. Oh, you guys, Seventh-day Adventists, you're the ones that go to church on the seventh day, and you're the ones that believe in the second coming of Jesus. But there's one verse that stands head and shoulders above every other in the Bible for identifying Christians. And that is John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. By this shall everyone know you're my disciples, if you have what? Love for one another. Oh, you guys are the ones that love each other. That's who you guys are. That's the church that I've been looking for. I've been looking for the church that fits this description that God gives right here. And that's what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 6. He's talking about a church that has the spiritual care and nurture for one another, that, that thinks about their own weaknesses and failures and reaches out when a brother errs or sins, reaches out when a sister falls or fails, reaches out to nurture them and to build them up and to encourage them, to pray for them. There are a number of principles here that are outlined, and we won't go into all those details, but we spend a lot of time going over the, these principles in our uh, discipleship uh, ministry class the, the principles that Paul outlines here, what we call of conflict resolution, of working through different differences and conflicts and bringing reconciliation out of those conflicts. And all of those principles, biblical principles, lead us to love one another as God has loved us, the way that Jesus called us to love one another. So, so what Paul is saying here is really it's, it's gospel truth because it... It causes us to live our lives, not just free of guilt and condemnation, but also with power in the way that we relate to other people. We are able to embrace other people and love other people because we're free from guilt and condemnation toward us. Many times the reason why we're judgmental towards somebody else, the reason why we treat someone else critically is because we're weighed down with our own guilt and weighed down with our own condemnation. But when we are freed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves wanting to do good and to love other people. And so God is calling us, first of all, in Galatians 1, Galatians 2, Galatians 3, Galatians 4, Galatians 5, to be free from all of that guilt and condemnation. 
And then Paul closes up in Galatians 6 with this one last chapter where he says, now that you're free from all that guilt and condemnation, you're free to actually help others and love others and reach out to others. And when you receive opposition, when you have conflict with other people, if you are filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not going to take that personally because you're free from guilt and condemnation. You're simply going to be focusing on what's going to be best for them, what's going to help them, what's going to nurture them. What you can do, you won't take it personally because you're dead. You're living with Christ. And your whole focus now is going to be on helping to restore other people and build them up. Then he goes to the second half here, and let's just move into that. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. He says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all the good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not be weary. Become weary in well in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who, are, who belong to the family of believers. So, Here Paul is transitioning now away from believers. He's including the believers, but he's transitioning away from believers, and he's saying, I want you to do good to everyone. Everyone needs needs something, someone, to touch their lives. And don't become weary in doing this. There are times when we feel like, oh, what good is it that I'm praying for people? What good is it that I'm reaching out to people? What good is it that I'm trying to be kind to other people? I, I, I... wrestle with this, I think one of my biggest struggles that I have is when I'm driving. This last week, I, I had the opportunity to drive down to California um, because my daughter made a last-minute decision to stay. She was going to visit, and she decided to stay. So Reese loaded up her car, and I drove it to California. It's about a 13-and-a-half-hour drive if you don't stop at Ikea and get her something that she needs for a room or and stop at Home Depot and get her something she needs for a bathroom. So it took me about 14-and-a-half hours. Um, and driving down there, I left late. Most of my driving was at night. It was kind of it was good. It was, it, was, it was pretty easy. Driving back was a little harder because I slept, and then I woke up in the morning, did a few things that needed to be done, and I turned around and started driving back. So within 48 hours, I'm driving 26, 27, 28 hours. I'm getting a little tired. I'm getting a little irritated. And the thing that's irritating me the most is the fact that driving back, I was driving my son's old car, which didn't have brakes. The brake light was on the whole time. So when I put on the brakes, the wheel shakes, and I feel like, are these brakes going to hold or not? And I'm coming up I-5, and there's this thing that happens, at least mostly in California. Once you get to Oregon, man, people just change. Their driving habits just change. But in California, this is the way it works. When you're driving up the I-5 two lanes and there's just all this traffic and a semi decides to pull over to pass another semi, which takes a long time, cars start piling up. Now, i got bad brakes. And as those cars are piling up, people start coming down the right lane. Now, there's nowhere to pull in because we're, we're bumper to bumper. You know what I'm saying? There's nowhere to pull. But these cars are going to come down. They don't want to wait in line. Behind, they want to come down, and they're going to cut in. And I remember one time I'm driving, and this guy cuts right, I mean, right in front of me, just right in front of me. And I got these shaky brakes. I'm like, okay, here we go. And so with six hours of sleep, running my second run back up 
I hope you're getting the picture here because I'm, I'm telling you right now that I'm a human being. I'm not some superhuman spiritual guy. I'm just normal, just like everyone else. And I'm really getting angry. Angry, angry. And I'm realizing this. I'm thinking, um, I'm getting angry. This isn't good. You know, uh, I, I, I'm a pastor. I pastor the Fall Creek Church. <laughs> I shouldn't be angry. This isn't good. I'm glad people don't know that I'm a pastor. I'm glad that I don't have a bumper on my, on my son's car that says, you know, remember the seventh day to keep it holy or something like that because I don't feel very holy right now. That's what I'm thinking. And so I just start praying. I say, Lord, there's got to be a better... I've got to, I just need to get out of this. So I just pulled over. I just pulled over. Well, as soon as I pulled over, the car in front of me, I'm, you know, we're in this long line and these cars are pulling in. And this, as soon as I pulled over, the car in front of me thinks I'm going to pass them. You know what I mean? They're, they think I'm going to do them what they did to me. I'm going to pass them and cut in. But I didn't. I just sat there. But then all of a sudden I got this idea. Just sit right here. Just sit right on his corner. In other words, block the lane so that no more cars come down, right? Just stay there until the truck passes, and that will help all the people in this row. No one's going to come down this lane and start cutting in front of them. So you're going to actually do good for all these people, and you're going to have peace of mind yourself. So that's what I did. I just sat there. I didn't pass the, try to get in front of him. I just sat there. And, of course, all the cars, once the car, truck passed, all these cars are coming down, and I didn't care. I lost my place. So what? All these cars come down. When they're all done, I pulled over, passed the truck, and I said, that's what I'm going to do every time. So from then on down the road, that's what I did. The truck would pull out. I would just pull over, and I'd stay right in the corner there, and I was just felt like I was a do-gooder because, you know, I was sacrificing myself and my spot in the line to help all those people in front of me so no one came down and cut in front of them, and I felt good. I was like, praise God. I stopped thinking about myself and my feelings and my emotions. I started thinking about, hey, how could I help? And the Lord actually put that thought in my mind. I didn't, you know, that didn't come to me like it was just something that just kind of boom. And I just, and I was, but here's what happened. And this is just what I want to share with you that I think is so powerful. It wasn't about where I was or where I wasn't or what I was doing. It was about sensing the presence of God's Spirit again. And not being angry and not being stressed and not being upset and just being at peace. That's what it was about. And I realized that sometimes it doesn't matter what the outcome is. We sacrifice the presence of God and the Spirit of God for little things that aren't worth it really. And it's better to have that peace and that presence of God than it is to have anything else that this world has to offer. And that's what I, re- that's what I experienced as I was driving up. I thought, praise God. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the feeling and the sense of God's presence and blessing that we will receive as we seek to minister to other people in our community, as we put them before us, as we think about them before we think about us. And, that, and the other thing he's saying here is that, that God can do that for us. Like, I just shared with you an example of how fallen we are, Right? And God can actually come in and take over and do something for us that's surprising and unexpected and take us totally out of that situation. So I love this because Paul here is emphasizing this as he goes through the verse. He's saying um, that we don't need to be deceived. God is not mocked. He's got it all figured out. He knows what's going on with, with 
everyone and everything in the world, so we need to do the best we can to encourage others. But there's one point he says here that I think is really another significant thing. He says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. This is a verse that is talking about what we do in our church service when we give tithes and offerings to, to God. Tithes and offerings are a way that we give to our instructor or give to those who are ministering to us so that the church can minister to the world. That's why it's in this context. Paul is talking about reaching out to the community, and the way we reach out to the community is by supporting our local church. The way we reach out to the the community is by giving to our local church, those who instruct us, so that the funds that come into this church can reach out to our community and bless them. That's what it's all about. It's not about enriching a pastor or enriching a certain person. Some churches work that way. You've got these mega churches, and all the money comes in, and it goes to the pastor, and he lives in this multi-million dollar home, and he has all these extravagant planes and this, that, and the other. But... The Adventist church doesn't work that way. Every pastor in the Adventist church gets paid the same. The only difference between their pay is going to be where they live if their cost of living is higher. But they all get paid the same no matter how big or small the church is. They all get paid on a conference scale. It's equal. The funds that come in, which usually are more than what the pastor needs, go now through a whole process of either coming back to the church to help in local outreach or going on to the union or general conference to help other pastors or other churches all over the world. Because I don't know if you realize this, but we in North America have about a million members, but there are other continents that have at least a million members, if not more. SID, Southern Indian Ocean Division, has more than a million members. Tanzania itself, as a country in Zambia, are moving toward more than a million members each. Just those two countries are moving to more than a million members. So now these countries aren't as wealthy as we are. And Paul, in, in his travels, he would take up offerings for other places that were poor that needed money. He would take up offerings and he would travel to these different places. And, and one time he would go to Jerusalem and he would bring funds from other churches and those funds would be used to help those who were destitute in the other areas where you know, he was going to because, because some places were more blessed and some places needed, needed funds. And so this is the same thing we see in the world today. North America, I mean, we have stuff... I've, been, I've traveled all over the place. Pakistan, you know, people there make a dollar a day. And the, the poverty that we see in some of these countries is amazing. And I consider myself to be a very wealthy person when I travel overseas because there's so much poverty there in the mission fields. And so Paul is talking about the importance, because of the burden we carry, of supporting those who minister to you so that the work can actually be forwarded in other parts of the world. We're blessed because we work in, in a ministry, self-supporting ministry, like there's ministry, and we get to print literature for all, all these other countries in the world. And just this week, I was talking to a man who has a burden to buy one million Bibles, one million Bibles for the world field. And he gave a donation just this last week as a down, as an earnest for those, those one million Bibles. And so we're purchasing um, right now, we're going to be purchasing 100,000 Bibles. And some of those Bibles are going to be in, um, most of them are going to be in English right now. They're all going to go to Africa um, and this year. We're going to get them out the door this year. And 
Um, some of them are going to be in French, and they're going to go to um, a Muslim country that we've been shipping to. Bibles are like, like we have Bibles, right? We have tons of Bibles. But in these other countries, Bibles are like gold. They're, it's just high commodity. It's like people don't have Bibles, and they'd love to have the Bibles. And a lot of the lessons we print at Lightbearers, a lot of the tracts we print, we include the Bible verses, because people don't have Bibles to go and check, so they have to have the Bible verses in the study, right? Right, Daniel? They have to. Have, Daniel's our printer. Um, Daniel um, Pusick is here, and he runs the press at Lightbearers, just day after day, week after week, month after month, pumping out millions of pieces of literature every year. Like I think last year, twelve million pieces of literature. And these are going to places and reaching people and changing hearts and changing lives. And now we have someone who wants to add Bibles to that. They asked me, they said, so do you think people need Bibles? And I said, people need Bibles like crazy. He said, well, I have a, I have a vision. I have a dream to print, to purchase, I should say, a, hundred, a million Bibles. I said, praise God. We can, we can work with you. <laughs> That'd be great. We'd love to get Bibles out there. So that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about giving to those who instruct you, the reason for that is not just to support them, but to support the work they're doing to reach out to others and get this message, this, this good news, these good tidings to all the world. That's, why we're, that's our mission. That's why we're here. And don't become weary in well-doing. Don't become weary, Daniel, in running that press. Don't, don't become tired of it. You know what I'm saying? We need to keep doing this. We need to keep doing this, is what Paul is saying. And then he goes on here um, as he closes out. And he talks about um, one other thing that I really wanted to bring up here. Let me just get to my notes. Um, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So doing good to all people is the evidence of the power of the gospel. And there's a quote that I want to close with, and it's found in Ellen White's writings. I'm not sure where, but this is what it says. A kind, courteous Christian is the most powerful argument in favor of the gospel that can be produced. A kind, courteous Christian. And I know that I fall short of that. Like I explained to you on my drive home, I was falling short of that. But I know that God forgives us, takes the guilt away from us, transforms us, and then causes us to actually be good to people that we were upset with just a few minutes ago. He does that work in us. Don't be discouraged because you come face to face with who you are. Because you have a God. And that God has redeemed all of your failures in his own life. And he's gifted you not only that redemption, but he's gifted you forgiveness. You have forgiveness in Christ. You have a perfect record in Christ. And now, praise God, you have the opportunity of sharing that with others. How? By being kind and courteous. Just being kind and courteous to people. Just having that love that is very simple and very plain in the way that you deal with people, especially your brothers and sisters in the church, but also those people out there in the world. Isn't that something that that you feel that we can do? Very simple, very practical. How many want to say yes to that this morning? Yes, praise God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, again, we want to thank you because... You have shown us what is good and what you require of us to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you. And thank you, Father, for this message in the book of Galatians that reminds us not only of our weakness, but of your strength, of your power, 
of the forgiveness of the gospel, of the power to take away our guilt and to free us so that we can love others the way you've loved us. Do this for us, we pray, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.